0: Well, good morning, church. Um, Like Phil said, my name is Derek Joseph. That's my wife, Lacey. She is the nicer one of us, so you all should talk to her afterwards. Hey, let me, um, before I get started, um, it's such a privilege to be here with you this morning, even under such sad circumstances. Dan is a a brother and a friend, and so we we do grieve with him. Um, But even as we're here this morning, we want to thank God, first of all, for. your love and your friendliness. We feel welcomed and cared for already um, just in the few minutes that we've been here, and so we want to commend you for that. We want to commend you for how you're a church that clearly loves the Word of God, even just seeing your worship this morning, the songs that you sing, the prayers that have been prayed. This is a church that loves God, and it's evidenced through loving His Word. And third, I want to commend you for this pulpit. This is a legit pulpit. As Phil was doing the announcements, I took a picture of the pulpit and I sent it to Drew, who's the preaching pastor at Zionsville Fellowship, and I said, dude, we need to get one of these. This is awesome. Anyway, I was on your website, as, as visitors are want to do, they want to get on your website, and I was on your website and I saw that you guys have three core values, namely worship, community, and mission, And we will be learning from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 41 this morning. It's Acts 2, 1 to 41, and it just so happens that Acts 2, 1 to 41, is about all three of those things, worship, community, and mission. And so my my hope is this morning that as we look at Acts chapter 2, that Chapelwood would be encouraged to persevere in all three of those things, to persevere in worship, in community, and mission. Now, there are two main points to Acts chapter two, all right? The first one is in verse 36, and it's this. Know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah, all right? So that's the first point. Know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah. And the second point throughout this whole chapter is that all Christians are prophets, all right? All Christians are prophets. And I, I phrase it like that for two reasons. One, it's the, it's the language of the text, and two, it's provocative. Now, Acts chapter 2 is long, and so we're going to look at it in seven parts. Now, if you're an outline-liking person and a note-taking person, that's the outline. There's going to be seven parts. But I, I want to say that the, the seven points aren't like points. They're just parts. We're focusing on the main two points. Know for certain that God has made Jesus Lord and Messiah, and two, all Christians are prophets. So that's what we're going to be focusing on in these seven parts. So I'm going to pray, and we'll get started. Father in heaven, you have blessed us with your Holy Spirit. Cause us to know for certain that Jesus is the Christ and is Lord. Empower us to tell other people that good news. And it's because he reigns that we pray. Amen. All right, let's start looking at these seven parts. The first part is just a gathering. All right, it's just a gathering. Verse one says this. When, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. All right, Pentecost was one of the harvest festivals on, on Israel's calendar. And Here's what's important about this, though. It tells us the timing. What this says is that this event happened about a week after the disciples saw Jesus ascend physically into heaven. So on Pentecost, they were all gathered together in one place. And Acts 1.15 tells us that this was the disciples, the people that had seen Jesus risen from the dead, and it was 120 other people. They were unified. They weren't unified based on demographic at all. There were poor there and rich there. There were people of various political parties there. There were old and young there. There were men and women there. Some of the apostles had their moms there. Now, I, I want to throw this out there. If you have a bunch of guys that get together and say, hey, guys, you, you want to go hang out and uh, invite our moms? You can be sure they're not hanging out based on demographic, okay? So, so why were these people together? Well, Acts 1.14 tells us they were together for prayer, all right? They were there for prayer. They were there for prayer, not eating, not singing even, not playing catchphrase. They were there for prayer. Now, I took a look at the London Baptist Confession of Faith, which, by the way, you all should read. It's 30 chapters, but each chapter is like a page, and so you can feel really accomplished if you read, if you read it. You can read it. It's 30 pages, and it's 30 chapters, and you'd be like, I read a whole book. All right. Anyway, the first thing that it says in its chapter about Christian worship is about prayer. And that makes sense because 1 Timothy 2 says it's the most important thing that Christians do when we're together. It's prayer. So here's a question. What, what is your attitude towards gathered prayer? In the church, in your families, in your small group? The Christian community is supposed to be characterized by prayer. We, we need to plan it so that it happens. And we actually even need to crowd out other things to do it. So these 120 were all gathered. They were unified to pray. Well, what were they praying about? It, it wasn't random. It wasn't like James was like, hey, I've got business problems. Can you pray for these? And Mary was like, hey, I've got an upcoming surgery. Can you pray for that? And that's fine things to pray for. But that's not what the point of their praying was. Jesus had said that he was going to send his spirit to advance his kingdom. And so they were asking for his spirit. They were asking for God to advance his kingdom, to advance his mission in the world. And that, that makes sense because when Jesus taught them how to pray, how did, how did he teach the disciples? Our Father in heaven, sanctify your name. May your kingdom come. The, the first things that Jesus instructed us to ask God for... We're to glorify your name. In other words, make yourself known through your word and may your kingdom come. Or in other words, send your Holy Spirit to bring people into your kingdom. Those are the first two things Jesus taught us to pray for. And that should really control how we pray. There's a few suggestions for that. You can, you can use missionary prayer letters to help you pray. You can use a, a website called joshuaproject.com that's really helpful. You can write down names of people around you that you see every day that don't need Jesus and pray through that list. Ask people to pray with you, even if it seems awkward. It shouldn't be awkward for Christians to pray together. So commit and gather and pray. See, that's what these 120 people were doing. And that's just the first part. They were gathered to pray. Now let's shift to part two. The Spirit arrived. The Spirit arrived. They were praying, and suddenly the room went crazy. There was deafening noise, wind, fire. This is verses two and three. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. I tongues that looked like fire appeared and settled over each person. The 120 would have remembered when God had spoken the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel. God descended in fire on top of Mount Sinai. There was thunder, there was an earthquake, there was lightning, and God spoke the covenant to the whole nation. And now, fire had fallen again. Fiery tongues rested on each person there. And God started making them speak in languages that they'd never learned. So verse 4 says and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, what happens when someone is filled with the Spirit? The Bible doesn't say that this miracle of languages is normal, but we do see that 99% of the time in the Bible, when someone is filled with the Spirit, they do one thing. When someone's filled with the Spirit, they talk about Jesus in public. So, for example, about 30 years before this, Mary was pregnant with Jesus, and she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. and, and suddenly the Spirit filled Elizabeth, and then this happened. this is Luke 142. She exclaimed with a loud shout, "Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child in your womb, And who am I that the mother of my Lord should come and visit me?" All right, what did the Holy Spirit make Elizabeth do? Well she proclaimed, "Jesus is the king, the Lord, the Savior." And that's what the Holy Spirit does when he fills somebody. And that's exactly what happened at Pentecost. Peter, the loudmouth apostle, he started proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead. And the quiet, shy person in the corner who had just come to pray also started proclaiming that Jesus was the Christ who had risen from the dead. Everyone proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God, there. And God didn't promise that he'd do this language miracle again. But the Spirit does make a Christian proclaim Christ publicly. So here's a question for us. Who is your public? Who is your public? Let's pray for those people. Let's ask God for opportunities to talk with those people about the risen Lord Jesus. Remember, when we go into public, we go as Christians, which means we go with with a message, And we don't just go with the message. We go with the Holy Spirit that empowers us to proclaim that message. All right, so that's part two. The Spirit arrived on the people. Part three is this. The the public reacted to this scene. All right, the public reacted. Thousands of Jews were in, in Jerusalem for the holidays. They'd come from all over the Roman Empire. And this is verse four. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven. And they suddenly heard people speaking their languages, their local dialects. And this is verse 6. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So the whole city gathered around the church. They were shocked at this language miracle that was going on. Verses 7 through 11 say this. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, By the way, that's one of the most important things you learn in seminary is how to pronounce all those words. <laughs> anyway, anyway, the, the city was in total shock. And this gets us to verses 12 and 13. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. And Some people were asking, what on earth is going on? And some people were answering, well, they're obviously drunk on the cheap stuff. Now, we, if we talk about Jesus publicly, we should probably expect similar responses. Because, listen, we as Christians tell people that we worship a man, a human, who is also God, who was murdered, who rose from the dead, and then ascended physically into heaven and is coming again physically to remake the earth. That's what we tell people. At least that's what we tell people when we're not as scared of offending them. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, and he hasn't given us a spirit of selfishness. So let's not be. His spirit makes us love people and makes us talk about Jesus. And when we do, we should expect curiosity. And we should expect anger. That's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. That's how the crowd reacted. So that was the third part. That brings us to the fourth part. This is how the apostles responded, all right? This is the apostles' response. The, the crowd was stunned, and they were asking questions, and so the apostles had to respond. And so in verse 14, it says this, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. All right, the apostles stood together as witnesses of Christ's resurrection, and Peter acted as their spokesman, and, and he spoke. But I do think it's interesting, as an aside, that all the apostles were standing together as a united witness. Right? This is similar to how churches are to have multiple elders who are teaching the word, as I see you do here at Chapelwood, and it makes me really happy. But Peter acted as their their spokesman, and he explained that the the people weren't drunk. This is 14 and 15. Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. His response was, they're not drunk, it's 9 a.m. And then... Peter reminded them of what God had promised. Verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares. All right, hold on. What, what Peter just said is that the last days had started. The, the end of the world was starting. And and what would God do at the end of the world? He says in verse 17. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. God had promised that before he ended the world, in the last days, he would pour out his spirit on all of his people, and they all, each one of them, would speak God's word, just like Moses of all they would be empowered by God himself to speak of God himself. And Peter said that is exactly what was going on here. Every one of these people who believed in Jesus was speaking by the Holy Spirit and proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord, risen from the dead. And now, just as God said, his spirit rests on all believers in Christ. And so we're empowered to tell people what God has done through Jesus as well. So, if you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, listen. You are a prophet. You're empowered to tell people by God himself without shame what God has done in history. That Jesus has risen from the dead, that Jesus is Lord. So, brothers and sisters, we are all prophets. So, let's prophesy. One easy way you can do this is to invite people to come to church with you. That's not too hard, right? I actually saw a survey recently done um, that actually said that 85% of unchurched people would attend a church if invited by a friend. 85%. Those are good odds. Another thing you could do is just invite someone to read through part of the Bible with you. Like, read the Gospel of Mark with you. That's honestly how we did evangelism in China. We just asked people to, to read the Bible with us. And if they were a little hesitant, I'd kind of publicly shame them a little bit until they would agree. I'm going to let you decide whether I'm kidding or not. Anyway, listen, every, every person who calls on Jesus as Lord, every person is a prophet empowered by God's Spirit to speak. That is exactly what was happening when this crowd gathered. Now, God had also promised that when he sent the Spirit, he'd do some other things. Verses 19 and 20, And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. All right, more more on the wonders and signs in a minute. But what's the point of all this? Verse 21 tells us the point. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The point of all this is an invitation come worship the real God, call on his name. Because if you do, when the world ends, you'll be rescued. That's what these 120 people were proclaiming. Most of whom we don't know, by the way. That's what all Christians proclaim. And so, listen, Christians, we are prophets. Let's prophesy. That brings us to part five. All right, the fifth part is the apostles' eyewitness testimony. All right, it's eyewitness testimony. Peter began in verse 22 Men of Israel, Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. All right, hold on a second. Remember verse 19 where God said right before he ended the world he was going to do signs and wonders and miracles? Well, he just said that's what Jesus did. Jesus did a bunch of signs and wonders and miracles. And the, the people knew this. A lot of them had seen it. They'd at least heard about it. This was public information. And yet, they still had Jesus killed. Verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. They shouted crucify him at Jesus's trial. They got Jesus killed. But so that they wouldn't think they were somehow really powerful, Peter reminded them that God had planned their actions. They had Jesus killed because that's what God had planned. And Jesus didn't stay dead. Verse 24 says this, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. God the Father raised Jesus. Yes, as a living person, but more than as a living person. He exalted him as the Son of God in power, in authority over all things, as the ruling Lord of everything. And then Peter called another witness to the stand, David, King David, Jesus' ancestor. Jesus had to be raised because God had promised David that one of his descendants would be the Messiah and wouldn't stay dead. So David had said this in in verses 25 through 28, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. All right, here's a summary. God's with me. Death won't get me. David was saying death would not beat the Messiah. Well, how do we know it's about the Messiah and not about David himself? Verse 29 says this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb was with us to this day. So it couldn't be about David himself because he was dead. It's very tight logic there, right? Verses 30 and 31 give further explanation. Being therefore a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. God promised David that his descendant would be king forever. He would rule forever. Death would never get him. All right. Let's let's summarize the apostles' eyewitness testimony so far, okay? One, everyone knew that Jesus was going around doing some crazy miracles. It was public knowledge. Two, the people that Peter was speaking to knew that they had Jesus killed. Three, they knew that God had promised that the Messiah would live forever. And then the apostles hit the crowd with this. Verse 32. This Jesus God raised up and of that, we all are witnesses. And mic drop. Peter told them, all of us standing here saw this. It wasn't one crazy dude. All of us saw the resurrected Jesus. So, what, what should we do with that? Well, well first of all... Um, If you have not yet decided to live under the lordship of Jesus, if you have not yet submitted to him, I'm so glad you're here. There's no more important place that you could be and no more important message that you could be hearing. This is evidence of what happened in real, physical history. Jesus rose from the dead, and and God to you this morning is simply saying this. Believe it. Know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah. And some of you here, you might have doubts about some of this, and and this should actually help answer some of them. Um, If you do have doubts or questions, I'd love for you to talk to somebody after the gathering. Talk to me, talk to somebody else, talk to your elders. And the third thing I want to observe from this is to just remember that every Christian is a prophet. Well, in, in what way are we prophets? We're prophets in the sense that by the Holy Spirit, we speak God's word. We don't speak as eyewitnesses. We were not eyewitnesses. But we, through the Holy Spirit, testify to what the eyewitnesses saw. God raised Jesus. That's what we do. All right, so that that eyewitness testimony, that was part five. And so let's look at part six. And part six is just the explanation, all right? All right. The explanation of what was going on. So the apostles had testified Jesus had risen. Okay, fine, but how does this connect to the languages miracle? Well, the explanation is in verse 33. It says this Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. All right, when God the Son became a man, he he gave up his rights as God himself. But after he finished his work on the cross, God exalted him. And God the Father gave God the Son, God the Spirit. There was relating going on between the three persons and the one true God. God the Father giving God the Spirit to God the Son. There's a lot going on there the real important thing to know now is the Spirit being poured out on Pentecost Jesus did that Jesus did that in other words lest you be tempted to think that Jesus has stopped doing stuff no way Jesus is just getting started Peter proved this from an Old Testament prophet He, he said that the reign of the Messiah would endure. This is verses 34 and 35. It says this, for, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. In other words, the Messiah was David's Lord, and the Messiah's reign would last forever. And then Peter concluded in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. God appointed Jesus in his resurrection as Lord over everything. And that's why we sing songs like crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Crown him the Lord of heaven, one with the Father known, one with the Spirit through him given from yonder glorious throne. He's Lord. And also, God appointed him Savior, Messiah. And that's why we sing things like, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. He is Savior. Okay, so before we we move on to what's next, what what should we do with this? First of all, believe it. Know for certain God has made him both Lord and Messiah. Second, if you know Jesus, remember, you're a prophet. We're here to prophesy, to prophesy this, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is Lord. He is Messiah. That's it. We don't need to have all the answers. We are here to tell the truth in the power of the true Holy Spirit. And that was the explanation of what was going on, all right? That's part six, which brings us to the seventh and and last part. In part seven, God saved a ton more people, God saved more people. Now, remember, Peter had just said this in verse 36, "'Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain "'that God has made him both Lord and Christ, "'this Jesus whom you crucified.'" Now, Peter had just told this crowd, "Um, "'You murdered the Son of God, "'and now he's the king and the judge.'" And so um, the crowd responded very, very logically, I wanna say, in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were rationally terrified. Would this risen Jesus send them straight to hell? They knew they deserved it. Or was there anything they could do? And then the good news. Peter said to them, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what's the solution to being under God's judgment? to repent. It's to stop rebelling. It's to submit to Christ. And he'll forgive you. And it's also to be baptized. And to be baptized literally means to to get washed. It means to get bathed. It means to be bathed by somebody else in this case, to to be washed by Jesus. When a person is baptized, when we receive baptism, we're talking to God. We, We talk to him. We say, cleanse me from my guilt. But when we're baptized, God also talks to us. Jesus promises when a person is baptized to that person, child, your sins are forgiven. When someone receives baptism... God is saying to that person the same thing that he said of Jesus when Jesus was baptized. You're my child and in you I'm well pleased. Not because you're so good, because Jesus is so good. That's what baptism is. It's God speaking that great news to the person being baptized. So, two quick asides here. First. If you haven't been baptized but you believe in Jesus, yes, you are forgiven, you are a child of God, but you are missing out on a gift from God to you. It's like leaving a Christmas present wrapped under the Christmas tree. I like getting presents. I cannot imagine why you would leave a present unwrapped under the Christmas tree. So if that's you, I would say talk to the elders and and receive baptism. Um, second application of this is if you've repented from your sins and been baptized, know that That your baptism is God's promise to you that you stand before Him totally clean, now and forever. All right, well, back to our text. Peter had told the crowd to repent and to be baptized. And if they did, Jesus would be reconciled to them. And the promise wasn't just for them. So listen to verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The the promise of eternal life wasn't just for this crowd. See, an, an ancient king would have eradicated his enemies, but he also would have eradicated their families and their distant relatives. But Jesus instead offered forgiveness to those who had had him murdered and to their families and to everyone who God would call to himself. Now, so who who will receive that gift of forgiveness, that gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, the text says it's everyone who God calls to himself. And so, listen, if if you're here this morning and you think you're too far gone from God, you're not. Because You coming to God doesn't depend on your strength or your willpower. It depends merely on God's call and God's mercy. And for all of us who have repented, I'm going to say it again. We are prophets. We announce forgiveness. And we need to announce it knowing that there's no one too far off from God's call. There's no one whose sins are too great or whose stubbornness is too strong that they can overcome God. So we should be talking like Peter did in verse 40. He said, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. We who have the Spirit say, Come to salvation. Come to Jesus. Come and be rescued. Because we're prophets. We've got a very simple message. Jesus was raised, Jesus is reigning, Jesus is returning, so be reconciled. I just want to point out that was four R's, so if if you have a, a bad memory like I do, this might help you. Risen, reigning, returning, so be reconciled. That's all we need to say. And that is exactly what these 120 people on Pentecost were proclaiming. Not because they were special. They weren't. We don't know who most of these people were. They were saying these things because of the Holy Spirit. And then God did this in, in verse 41. It says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. All right, God, God made 3,000 people know their guilt. God drew 3,000 people to trust in Jesus. God gave 3,000 people in that moment, total acquittal and clemency. God added 3,000 people in that day to the church membership. And God made 3,000 more men and women into prophets. Two things to note. First thing to note, God calls, God saves, we just talk. Second thing to note, the normal pattern is belief in Jesus, then receiving baptism, then becoming a church member, and then receiving the Lord's Supper when we're together. So that's important. Tuck that away. Not really the point here. Back to the text. God saved a ton more people, and that's that's how our text ends. So what's Acts two one to forty one about? It's the same thing Chapelwood's about: worship, community, and mission. Here's a summary of the text. Jesus had ascended into heaven. The disciples were praying. God sent his Holy Spirit on them and they started proclaiming Jesus as risen from the dead. The people had questions. So the the Spirit had Peter as an eyewitness explain everything. And then Jesus, the one who had poured out the Spirit, the one who reigns, took 3,000 of his enemies who had him murdered and made them into his children. He gave them eternal life He made them prophets too. So overall, here's how we should respond to this text. First, know for certain that God has made Jesus Lord and Messiah. Second, let's prophesy. We have the Spirit. Let's talk. He empowers us to talk about Jesus in public, despite the consequences. So let's do it. And so, in light of these things, would you ask God for help with me? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you did raise Jesus. Grow our certainty and our assurance that you have made him Lord and Messiah. Grow us in talking about him and glorifying Jesus as Lord wherever we're at with whomever we are. And it's because Jesus is our risen and reigning king that we pray. Amen.